I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Hi, Elise. Hi, Corey. How's it going? 
It's going pretty well. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, I'm starting to feel the end of this series, and it feels really strange to be saying goodbye to Hamlet. Mm. We are doing our Hamlet wrap-up today, so Elise and I have watched some Hamlets, and these these adaptations, uh, these performances really, really helped me solidify what I like and what I don't like. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I know for you, when we started this series, Hamlet has been like on your Shakespeare Anyone vision board for a while because it is your favorite Shakespeare play. Now that we're at the wrap up, is it still your favorite Shakespeare play? I will say yes, but I will also say that there are a lot of places where Hamlet can go wrong. So Mm -hmm. it's a... If they do it right, I love it. And if it's mediocre or not good, I I can't stand it. So mm-hmm. when it's at its full potential, when I see a triumph, I'm like, this play is so incredible. And it taps into so many parts of humanity. And there's so much interesting stuff to take from it. But then when you see it really not so good, it's a devastating experience. And it's just, you know, it can be rough. Mm-hmm. I feel like in watching these, we'll get through them. But I feel like with Hamlet, kind of like back where we were at the very beginning of this podcast with Macbeth, it's kind of like when this is good, it's really good. Mm -hmm. When it is not good, it is really bad. Yeah. (laughs) And it's heartbreaking doing the work that we've been doing and sometimes being quite let down or quite upset. Yeah. We watched three movies of Hamlet. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell our listeners which three versions of Hamlet we watched? The first one we watched was the 1964 Hamlet by Grigory Kozintsev, which is the Russian-Soviet Shakespeare that we discussed a little bit, just a little bit, in the Geopolitics and Succession episode. The second one we watched was the Kenneth Branagh 1996 movie. And then the last one we watched was the... Royal Shakespeare Company's 2016 Hamlet. There were some other Hamlets that were in the mix, but some of the decisions of what to watch came down to availability. There was this one Hamlet, a 2015 Royal Exchange Theater production of Hamlet starring Maxine Peake as Hamlet that I really wanted to watch, but it became inaccessible unless you rented it. So that one was nixed from the list. But these are the three that we settled on. All right. So uh, let's dive in with Russian Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yes. Okay, so bit of background. Like you said, this is the 1964 film adaptation. Uh, it's based on the translation by Boris Pasternak mm-hmm. and then is directed by Grigory Konstantsev. And it stars Inokenty Smoktunovsky as Prince Hamlet. Yes, this one went on to be nominated for several international prizes, including the Golden Globe and BAFTA and won the Special Jury Prize at the Venice Film Festival in 1964. It is shot on black and white 70mm film in the 2.35 to 1 ratio. It's called the Solvscope format. Uh, This film has been applauded for its spectacular scenery, striking score, and inimitable acting performances. The goal of the film was, quote, not to adapt Shakespeare to the cinema, but to adapt the cinema to Shakespeare, unquote. Do you want to start talking about this movie? Yeah, let's let's go. My first impression was it's incredibly epic in scale. Yeah. 
there's so many extras. I think with our other wrap up episodes, we tend to find these um, BBC adap- film adaptations that are very much like the Trevor Nunn sound stages. Yes. This is the opposite. It was yes. is literally what I wrote. I was like, this is not claustrophobic. There's just this castle extras that populate the castle. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect just this like level of production because it feels very real. Yeah, it truly is cinematic. Mm-hmm. The establishing shot is a shot of the ocean waves and there's the sound of bells chiming to indicate it's midnight. And before we even get to any dialogue, there is a lot of action that's pushing the story forward. So mm-hmm. there are men who are waving flags, there are men on horseback, cannons are firing. So we're really dropped into this place through cinematic tactics. Visual, yeah. Visual visuals storytelling. Yeah. Versus um, having like a title card or doing an establishing shot and having the character of Marcellus and Bernardo begin the the experience it's like this is a this is a movie which was very very cool to me yeah um what i loved this kind of establishment of the world that we're in and for the uh funeral wedding moment what is striking about this scene is that hamlet is not there Mm -hmm. when it's time for claudius to go you know my cousin hamlet yeah hamlet's not there and they have to go looking for him yeah in that scene the beginning of the scene there was a shot of Hamlet sitting in a chair in the back behind all the courtiers. And so by the mm-hmm. time we get to this line, the camera goes back to that chair and there's no Hamlet. He is gone. He's just been like, peace out. Right. And then after that, we move on to a shot probably on a dolly, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. of Hamlet walking through a very crowded hall. And there are tons of courtiers. When Elise says that there are so many background actors, Uh, There are so many background actors, and his first soliloquy is a voiceover, which I'm sometimes skeptical about that because sometimes it feels like it's a little cheap, but... I found it very effective. Yes. The voiceover, it in uh, Hamlet walking through and weaving through the crowd really telegraphed for me his isolation and Mm -hmm. the bustle of Elsinore after his father's funeral and this wedding and how life is just going on. I think, too directorially they are very careful with like you said like showing his isolation and when they go into more close-up shots of his face so you can kind of see the actor thinking these thoughts and the actor does a great job of yeah showing and he's doing some sort of internal thinking it's not he's just walking and we're hearing yeah. some voiceover he's very much been directed or he is acting saying the speech in his head it's pretty clear um, exactly yeah it's super effective i really really liked that And he Mm -hmm. does that for, I believe, all of the soliloquies, most of them, if not all of them. So it's a device that Kozintsev continues throughout the movie. It's not just like, we're going to use it every once in a while. And then... Yeah. We then meet Polonius and Ophelia. Mm -hmm. Polonius doesn't seem like a fool. I also wrote, Ophelia seems like kind of childlike. Mm -hmm. She like has handlers. She does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when we see her in this, in this yeah. first scene, she is practicing a dance for court, but mm-hmm. she is sheltered um, by everyone around her in the castle. Right. Yeah, I think uh, sheltered is definitely a, maybe a better way of saying it than childlike, but she has this kind of naivete yeah. to her. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about the ghost? Yeah, let's talk about him. Holy f- I was actually scared. <laughs> uh-huh. For a 1964 film. Yes. 
I feel like this would be absolutely terrifying to see on screen in a theater. Yeah. Yeah. I was I wrote down he's larger than life. He's yeah. larger than life. He we don't see his face. It's just this giant figure in armor with a cape that way like flaps in the wind. Like mm-hmm. there's intense cape action going on with this ghost. Yeah. Um I was like this would also be like a really effective stage ghost. Yeah. It creates more of that like visual foreboding of like what is this? Mm-hmm. Is it the king or something else? Like we don't even see its eyes until right before it leaves. Yeah. I really thought that he was an effective ghost as well. And we should mention that the costuming for this film is very early modern inspired. Yeah. Medieval. It feels like a very Russian interpretation. Like there also seems to be some like, you know, Russian aristocracy influences. Definitely. Pre-Russian uh, Revolution influences on the costumes. Yeah. They're doing a period piece. Mm-hmm. My next note is about uh, we get to see the closet scene between Ophelia and Hamlet. We get to see that acted out on film, mm-hmm. which I thought was very well done. You sold me. Yeah. And this movie does that a couple of times. Shows stuff rather than tells stuff. Yeah. They cut the scene where he, Bernardo, and Marcellus and Horatio all swear. So right. we don't actually get this Hamlet saying, I will put an antic disposition on. But after the scene, we start to see Hamlet's antic disposition. And I took note that in the beginning, he seems much more introspective. This is like coming in later, but he uh, he kind of just like starts really like lounging around the castle in kind mm-hmm. of a very, I'm just sitting and watching. I wrote like he's sitting on these like lion chairs, statues a lot. So he feels more like a melancholy fool. Yeah. For a lot of his antic disposition is is he's just kind of like saying, fighting or weird things to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We get to to be or not to be. And there's a fourth wall break. Mm. Hamlet looks like straight down the barrel of the camera directly at us. And it's not for, for a long time, but at a very specific moment. And he's so still and also alone mm-hmm. for to be or not to be which it definitely um is a very different choice than shakespeare's to think that like watching someone just act to a voiceover of themselves talking mm-hmm. would be interesting is a hard thing to like convey over this medium mm-hmm. so i think you just have to see it to believe it because i i have so many exclamation points in my notes about this to be or not to be yeah i wrote at the end chef's kiss <laughs> yeah Yeah. He's active internally. I can tell that he's thinking, but there's this kind of numbness as well to him that is really Mm -hmm. effective. Thinking about this Hamlet being perhaps a bit numb to the situation he's dealt in Elsinore with the politics. Yeah. Yeah. His melancholy feels like detachment. Mm -hmm. And for film, it's really effective. I don't know how, you know, effective it would be on stage. Right. Having to play numb to the back to play, of the, playing up of to the, the back, theater. it might seem like you are not making any choices whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But on film, because we are so close, we can really just see him thinking and processing and observing, and when he reacts versus when he doesn't. And yeah, it feel, it's a very like minimalist performance. And I think sometimes we get with Hamlet specifically a need to like not just let him be ponderous and not let him be like thinking and like not let these moments be moments of thinking things out Mm -hmm. 
And this film does, and it's in a very effective way. Completely agree. After that, uh, we move on to Polonius getting Ophelia pushed out to the hall with a book. Yes. As Ophelia breaks up with Hamlet, this scene played to me like Hamlet has decided to break up with her worse, to be like, I'm going to get the final word, I'm going to have the upper hand, versus him being like, Mm -hmm. he does have a moment where he does get a little physical. He like pushes her up against the staircase. He also uh, knocks whatever uh, remembrance to me. I was like, is that a ring? Mm -hmm. Out of her hand. Um, There's this interesting choice where as Ophelia has broken up and said, take these back, Hamlet like comes towards her and starts to circle her. And as he's circling her, he also looks around. And I think that's because this Hamlet might suspect is suspicious of her. Mm -hmm. I saw this bit of paranoia in Hamlet. I also noted with this scene, like, the beginning of it, she kind of discovers him. She like goes up mm-hmm. to him and approaches him instead of him discovering her. And right. there does seem to be some sort of attraction or tension between them. Right. Before the breakup really starts uh, um, sinking in. Sinking in. And I am not a fan of violence in this scene. I th- a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think that it is a not interesting choice. It really doesn't set Ophelia up well for, oh, what a noble mind is here or thrown. Mm-hmm. Unless you only care about Hamlet's. If you only care about Hamlet's character arc, sure, fine, whatever. But right. it makes it hard to like him for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's ways to do it with minimizing the violence. Right. And too often this scene is directed or choreographed to be a very intense moment of domestic violence and and violence against women yeah and then we have nowhere to go from there Mm -hmm. and this these two have to continue to interact for a few more scenes and even moving down farther into the play or the film the story when hamlet is like i loved ophelia more than you know forty thousand brothers or four thousand brothers Mm -hmm. or whatever i am already anti-hamlet that has to live in this scene is my yeah. Uh, yeah. directorial dramaturgical opinion. I think yeah. this one, on the spectrum of violence yeah. against women that I have seen done in this scene, it's on the lesser end. And I yeah. like that after I did love thee once, he separates from her. And like you said, he starts to like circle the room and seem just like suspicious of the whole situation in general, mm-hmm. more than just yelling at her and throwing her around the room. Yeah, it seemed like it was less about Ophelia. And it, became, yeah. and it was more about all of the surrounding circumstances that leads him to be on mm-hmm. edge about this decision for her to break up with him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll revisit this two more times in this episode. We will. Yeah. Yeah. There are thoughts. So many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving on. In this one, did the killing of Polonius seem like a mistake? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it read that way to me. He certainly obviously went to the heiress and stabbed. And then as soon as he re- Polonius is on the ground, he like, opened the shirt and like felt for blood and was like oh oh no yeah yeah after that scene we see ophelia getting dressed in mourning clothes like very Mm -hmm. elaborate mourning clothes it is the most like elizabethan dress that i think we see yeah Um, yeah yeah which i was like "Ooh, i like this (laughs) yes i loved that i also going back to the closet scene when the curtain falls all of those dresses, that like castle closet that we were talking about mm-hmm. in female agency. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, I saw all of them like on display and it's like, that's how much room it takes for Elizabeth to house all of her dresses. Yeah. But yeah, as she's getting dressed, she also looks like she's in this daze. Yeah. Disconnecting from this world, but it seems numb. Yeah. We're losing her. Absolutely. After that, we see Fortinbras. I wrote, ooh, Fortinbras. <laughs> then we get to see Hamlet on the pirate ship, discover yes. the letter, mm-hmm. and then rewriting it to say, kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, England. Yes. Uh, we get to cut back to Fortinbras. Fortinbras comes and kneels to Claudius and does the whole, like, I want passage through to get to Poland. And uh, interspersed throughout this, we see uh, Ophelia starting to shed some of... Uh, yeah. This morning garb that she's been in. And I wrote, Ophelia's madness is so cool when she starts in this really elaborate hair, makeup, and morning dress. She acts like a ghost. And they put this scene in the same location as the breakup scene, the get thee to a nunnery mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. And she retraces the blocking of her breakup with Hamlet, which I thought was so such just such a good choice and i was like if someone could effectively do that on stage i'd be really happy i didn't even notice it was the same blocking it's yeah that's incredible this is the same set of movements that she did in the fight which honestly and it's in line with like shakespeare's madness where characters speak truth and so even though she's not speaking truth she's reliving she's Mm -hmm. going through the motions again you know this was so much more interesting to see her Mm -hmm. talk about these things as she's reliving the end of her relationship with hamlet yes yeah and still in a bit of a daze and still just out of it Mm -hmm. she shed her restrictive morning clothes and then she uh grabbed sticks from the fireplace to be her flowers um yes and this is after laertes and the entire insurrection has like come upon the castle then after laertes rushes in and wants to see his father and you know all of that then he heads out to the hallway which is where we find ophelia making an entrance yes and Mm -hmm. um she she looks like a ghost she's completely shed that morning attire and she uses sticks from the fireplace as flowers Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed her mad scene that she was just out of it and my personal opinion about ophelia's madness is that playing crazy and i'm going to use those words because i think that what happens is offensive and so i'm going to use offensive like i understand yeah okay thank you um i think (laughs) that some interpretations of mental illness can be very offensive and really um reductive right she actually reminded me of more of like lady m yes sleepwalking Mm -hmm. but in that sleepwalk is still this admission of all of these things that this character is experiencing and living um through so it just it was I think a very good choice. Yes. I do want to also include a content warning that we see Ophelia drowned after this. Um, So if that's not for you, fast forward a little bit after Ophelia's mad scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then at the very end, uh, we see Hamlet borne away by Fortinbras and Fortinbras's army. And Mm -hmm. I thought that that was an interesting, cool detail to see um, him kind of get a just military bearing away. This adaptation did less idolizing of Hamlet. And there was no tell my story with Horatio. Fortinbras finds him and is like, well, that sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is 
1964 Hamlet. My verdict, if you love Hamlet and you have seen, like you understand Hamlet, you know Shakespeare's Hamlet, you love it, go watch this. It's a very good Hamlet across the board. I agree. I felt like it provided the key information that you need. It made some neat choices and it really didn't flub on any choices. Yeah. And I saw the natural realism that comes out of the Russian theater applied to this, you know, Shakespeare on film. So I also recommend it. Should we move on to our next Hamlet? Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. This is the 1996 Hamlet film that is adapted and directed by Kenneth Branagh, who also stars as Prince Hamlet. And I think it's worth doing a brief rundown of this cast because this cast is stellar cast stellar star-studded we have Derek Jacobi as King Claudius Julie Christie as Queen Gertrude Kate Winslet as Ophelia Michael Maloney as Laertes Richard Briars as Polonius uh, Nicholas Farrell as Horatio with appearances by Robin Williams Gerard Depardieu Jack Lemon Billy Crystal Rufus Sewell Charlton Heston Richard Attenborough Judy Dench John Gilgood and Ken Dodd Oh, also Rosemary Harris, Brian Blessed, Timothy Spall. The amount of yeah. times I went, is that? And it was. And it was. Mm-hmm. What we should know is that this film was nominated. The most interesting one, perhaps, is uh, Best Adapted Screenplay is by Kenneth Branagh because he um, doesn't really cut much. It was a long movie. He just kind of reassigned some things, mostly to Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Anyway. Ooh, we actually start with a ghost story. I wrote that I love an underlined love ghost story with fire. I mm-hmm. thought that was neat. I thought there was a lot of tension created in the beginning of this movie. Fantastic. Uh, we have another ghost in armor. And then uh, there's also a lot of geopolitical exposition that is usually cut. Yeah. And in order to aid in helping the audience who maybe didn't study the geopolitics of this play through a podcast... The audience gets flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So we see uh, Fortinbras, young Fortinbras. We get bits of information visually in order to help us piece together the geopolitics. That would be very difficult to piece together sometimes if you are merely listening to these um, uh, the lines in the film. Mm-hmm. And then after this, uh, we move to the speeches and business in what appears to be the wedding ceremony. Yes. The newly married king and queen addressing a room full of wedding attend- like people who are here to celebrate them. And then when we look for our cousin Hamlet, we yeah. pan to behind the bleachers, essentially. Behind one of the sets of bleachers is uh, emo Hamlet, wearing all black. Yeah. I I laughed out loud. I'm not going to lie. It is a very strong choice that I was maybe not ready for. Mm-hmm. With so the voiceover. Mad. Yeah, with the vo- his first lines of voiceover. A little more than Kid and Less Than Kind? Yeah, that's a voiceover. Okay. I didn't really find a through line, but some yes. of the lines that Hamlet speaks are voiceover. Some of them are said in scene. I had a similar struggle throughout. I didn't always understand the choice. I'll just leave it yeah. at that. Yeah. I say this with all the love in the world for Kenneth Branagh and his much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. He is acting all over the place in this one, and I really wish that he had had a director he had chosen to be either director or actor for this right 
a lot of the choices starting here, going into, oh, that this tutu sullied flesh, mm -hmm. going into that was very self-indulgent, I'm going yes. to say. Yeah. Um, and then we get into, oh, that this tutu solid flesh would melt. And I wrote, well, he doesn't shy away from the misogyny. This is the seed. Yeah. This yeah. is the seed. I'm going to skip forward to Horatio entering. Yeah. And I wrote, will there be any humor? Getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but this is not a funny Hamlet for a long time. Right. And technically, I didn't laugh much in the Soviet Hamlet, but they also cut most of the lines that are intended to be funny. comical. And there yeah. are jokes being told very, very seriously. Yes. That said, one thing that I absolutely loved was that we see Hamlet looking up demons. I love that. And I wrote a note book woodcut of the three dead exclamation point yeah i was like oh look at that so he was doing a little bit of research and that was very fun he's like i wonder what this thing might be and then we got like a little nod to mm -hmm. that we ghost. see him freaking out a little yeah. bit and starting to research demons after hearing about ghosts mm -hmm. um we're heading into ophelia and laertes yeah we are I wrote that I wish that they were stationary instead of walking so that they could look at each other every once in a while and make eye contact. And I wrote that this leaned into incest energy. Oh, my gosh. Shut up. Get yeah. out of my brain. I <laughs> So first, so I go, okay, like that Ophelia is sassy towards mm -hmm. Laertes. She's not an innocent child. Yes. She has... Uh, definitely had some private time with hamlet and we see that yes, she has which we'll learn more about see later later we have again no humor to polonius no and then no, I, write, I and i think it's important that we include this for our listeners who may be uncomfortable seeing such things why do laertes and ophelia kiss on the mouth i was so confused by that that made no sense yeah like you said it kind of gives off incesty vibes um yeah yeah some people do think that there's some incestual stuff going on. So I feel like it was like an intentional decision. Decision. It, it was, was unnerving to it me. It was uncomfy. Yeah. 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 Also, Polonius gets violent with I wrote, Ophelia. Polonius is mean. He's he is nasty. Mean. He's trying to make Polonius this calculating courtier. And I don't think it works because then how is no. Because it makes Polonius too much like Claudius. It does. And then it also messes up the entire dynamic between the rest of the family and everyone else, because why would you trust this person? Yeah. 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 But I don't hate that they show Ophelia and Hamlet having relations. No, I wrote that I liked that. They acknowledged it. Yeah. It adds a dynamic. Um, yeah. I think with with most Hamlets, if you don't show that, yeah. there's no onstage acknowledgement of their relationship and if you don't bake something like that in there it really um lowers the stakes for the two of them and their yeah. relationship next up we go and see the ghost yeah we do and i liked it it's scary um the ghost yeah. kind of sounds like black philip he's very what's that like to live deliciously and it's like <laughs> yeah that like, is it, a good imitation of him you're welcome i yeah. I've... Yeah. I liked that they left the confines of the castle mm -hmm. and went into some sort of forest. It added a supernatural type of element to this experience. 
but I did not really like that choice for the ghost. It was just so slow and it dragged on for so long. Yes, um, I will agree with that. I think I, I was excited at the beginning and then I was yeah. like, by the time I wrote Sounds Like Black Phillip, I was like, this is... Like, come on. Come, come on. Come on. This is why this is a four-hour movie. Yes. Then we're back in the castle with Polonius and... Yeah. There is a gratuitous young woman half naked in bed and it's yeah. very heavily suggested that Polonius has been the one sleeping with her. He's like, been sleeping with her, yeah. Why are we suggesting that? Why is there a need to suggest that Polonius is also a lech like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones? Yeah. It doesn't work for me. No, no it doesn't you. work for me either. And that's probably because I have a soft spot for Polonius. Yeah. Brevity is the soul of wit doesn't pay off at all because Polonius isn't funny. He's not a chatty Cathy. He's not doing all yeah. those... Hamlet isn't getting yeah. annoyed with him going on and on, and, and his kids aren't getting annoyed with him going on and on and on. Claudius and Gertrude aren't getting annoyed. It yeah. I wrote, some of Polonius's language does not work if you don't play the joke. Yeah. After that, we, we move on to Hamlet putting on his antic disposition in the hall. I didn't think it was funny or fun. Antic disposition. Oh, I roll it's my eyes. Not good. Looking back on it, we'll see some ableist choices that are not funny or good no so much of his hamlet's antic disposition i wrote down was quite angry as well yes and i understand that hamlet is angry there are elements of that but anger manifests itself in people in ways other than shouting and scowling and harshness yeah this is a very angry hamlet and mm -hmm. when you have a film or a play that's four hours long and the title character is just yelling for a lot of it, mm -hmm. it is exhausting. Yes. And again, he's not playing a fool, so we lose the comedy. Yeah, we lose any sort of variation with him. The first time I had a little bit of joy, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's second entrance. Oh, yeah. That was very silly. Yeah. They enter by tiny train. Tiny. <laughs> uh, to into with, their like, scene with giant Hamlet. grins on their faces. Like giant like there's no other like usage of this train. It's not been no. previously established that there is a like tiny tiny train like in a back, Elsinore. Like a backyard steam engine. <laughs> I love a little train for RNG. No, that was a very fun choice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my next notes are after the player's entrance. I noted that Brana seems to fall into a fool when the traveling troop arrives. That was the first time mm. I saw him playing a fool. Yeah, he perks up. He perks up a bit. He becomes goofier and jests a bit. So now I guess Hamlet has shifted a little bit from being angry and emo to being a little bit fun. Yes. We go into what a rogue and peasant slave and I, am I and I like you said earlier, it just moves a lot. At this point, I made the note that Brana doesn't, well, one, he doesn't make it very clear or it doesn't track when he is in antic disposition and when he's not. Right. And then he seems to fear or avoid stillness on screen. There's yes. so much unnecessary blocking and business mm. in What yeah. a Rogan Peasant Slave. And when he is not physically touching something or walking, or picking gesturing something, in some way. Like, I mean, like just picking something up 
and moving it for no reason, then the camera is moving. He doesn't let us sit and hear what he's saying. And it seems like he's not trusting the words. He's not trusting the experience. There are certainly moments where Hamlet can go through like a manic state, but you have to build to that. Mm -hmm. You have to go on a journey so that when you burst, we understand why. And he just bursted all the time, all over that set. Yeah, and that's where I where I'm like, I wish he could have done one or the other, because I think if he had just acted and had a director guiding him or just directed and been guiding an actor, he would have been able to see it doesn't need this. All of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. To be or not to be arrives. Ophelia has been told to walk around. Um, mm-hmm. She has like a stack of things to give him. This like grand hall has a bunch of mirrors and apparently yes. some of those mirrors are doors are, and two-way yes. mirrors and yes. so Polonius and claudius are hiding behind one of these doors and they have yes. pulled open the window that makes it into a two-way mirror so they can see hamlet hamlet cannot see them exactly they are spying yeah um are we at the moment i'm uh, dreading i i want to say before we get there i liked the start of it it felt like mm-hmm. a breakup scene It felt like they were both emotionally invested in this relationship and that he didn't Mm -hmm. want this to be a breakup. And then Mm -hmm. I uh, very quickly hate this scene. I agree. It was gratuitous. Yes. Unnecessary and made me hate Hamlet. Yes. Um, I guess trigger warning. Yeah. He is verbally abusive and also quite, quite physically abusive. Yes, and, and there are prolonged shots of her face pressed up against um, that two-way mirror. So you are right. seeing her face yeah. pressed up against something. Yeah, he like grabs her, holds onto her, and drags her to this mirror from the other side of the room. Yeah. Pushes her head up against it. And like you're saying, Elise, we are focused on Ophelia's face as she is crying, distraught, yeah. and Hamlet is in a rage. Yes. After that, we get her speech, and then Polonius goes to comfort her, and he's a very doting dad, which we haven't had any establishment of before, Mm -hmm. and so it feels weird. Right. I also had trouble with her speech because, I mean, Kate Winslet is a fantastic actor, but it was also difficult to hear her say those words because I was like, he's just being abusive. Like, this isn't, he's gone mad. Like, this is something entirely different yeah i have a lot of feelings about this speech having played ophelia and i think that this speech especially the oh woe is me to have seen what i've seen see what i see see. which is the end of that speech i think it is a a realization of she might have been played by hamlet by her father and claudius oh because they aren't there yet they're still behind the heiress, technically. Right. And so she is, in theory, alone on stage. And so whether or not this counts, as we've talked about solo speech, like while she is aware that there are other people, I think she could be saying these things with the expectation that they can't hear. No one's hearing her. Because also, if Polonius is that doting and protective of a father, how could he watch that amount of violence? This is kind of like yeah. one of my thesis points of 
not having this scene being gratuitously violent or really violent at all is um, if these two men are watching and they have reason to suspect Hamlet already, you have to justify that those two men are not going to try to stop this from happening. Right. They're right there. Yeah. If Ophelia's life is not in danger, then one can accept that they can stay behind the heiress and eavesdrop. If her life is in danger. Yes. And this Hamlet put her life in danger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I could go on. Yeah. I could could go on. But I think (laughs) that it's not, her speech isn't just about, oh, Hamlet's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more about what has happened to Hamlet. And yeah. what game has she been part of that she didn't realize she was part of? Yeah. My next note is I like the play within a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the court recognizing Gertrude in this play and like turning around and being like, uh, um, I wrote that I enjoyed the audience reactions. Yeah. There's a very confrontational and obvious accusation within the play within a play mm-hmm. by Hamlet to Claudius. Not subtle at all. No. No, I actually thought that the play within a play started out rather strong. Mm-hmm. I actually really did not like Hamlet getting up and jumping on stage and playing director. No. So that it got a bit unhinged. Yes. And then uh, we go into the Hamlet Gertrude scene and it's fine. One thing that I did like about it is that for me, it really felt like he did not mean to kill Polonius. He didn't know who was there. She did. And she so she like immediately is like, oh, no, what have you done? And then he's like, uh, whoops. <laughs> didn't mean to kill specifically not Polonius. part of my plan. Yeah. 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 Thought it was a spy. Thought it was maybe Claudius. Claudius, perhaps. Hoped it was maybe Claudius, perhaps. But mm-hmm. uh, definitely did not factor in that it could have been Polonius. Yeah. The impact of Polonius's death is very clear. Yes. I do want to circle back to the closet scene. I did not like that this was another case of Hamlet being violent towards women. Yes. I wrote this line, which I think that most Hamlet and Gertrudes have to deal with as directors cast 30-year-old men to play the sons of, you know, whatever. But Mm -hmm. do angry children actually manhandle their parents? Does that happen often in confrontations between child and parent? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something to think about in directing this scene, because as angry as Hamlet is at Gertrude, I don't know. And he's been explicitly told to not not hurt her by the ghost. Yes. And after this point, he knows that the ghost was correct. Yes. Prior to this, he has learned that the ghost was correct. So, again, where is that coming from? Yes. Other than misogyny. Yes. And like an idea for like shock and awe. But anyways, not a fan of it. Yeah. But yeah, the impact of Polonius' death on Elsinore is very clear. I like seeing just the chaos of the castle of like, there is someone murdering people. Um, People are running Mm -hmm. around. Ophelia sees the body being borne away in secret. Yeah. And then we get to check in with Fortinbras. Mm -hmm. And then we have an incredibly over the top my thoughts be bloody or be nothing worth speech oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah that's so true so before this we have a speech by claudius where derek jacoby just gets to sit and like talk facing the camera 
not eye contact, not breaking the fourth wall, but we just watch him speak multiple times. And for some reason, Brana cannot let his speeches alone. And we get this like flying out like zoom out zoom out a panning out yes yeah yes like inspiring music this is a distracting amount of underscoring this Uh speech that doesn't need it and is not an inspiring speech no and then we have intermission we have intermission and then we come back we return to ophelia ophelia is mad content warning she is uh, costumed in a straight jacket. Yes. Yeah. Leaning into the damaging stereotypes. Damaging of, stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Of mad. Again, nothing against Kate Winslet because I think I just see across this film that Brana resorts to going too far with things. Yeah. Are you talking about her like gyrating on the floor? Yeah. Yeah. The thoughts are not connected. I wrote... Why do Lear, Lady M, etc., get to make sense in their mad scenes in a like in a way for us as the audience? Mm-hmm. But Ophelia so often is up and down and giggling and yelling and all over the place and yeah. nonsensical in what mm-hmm. she's saying. I mean, the reason is sexism, right? But the same coded language techniques that we allow King Lear and Lady M, we should be applying to Ophelia to mm-hmm. every other character who goes mad in Shakespeare is allowed to be seen as somebody who's speaking in code. Yes. But Ophelia repeatedly doesn't get that. Does not get to be deliberate with what she's saying. It just what she is saying makes sense to us as the audience and it makes sense to her. Like hearers can make sense of it if they right. put the dots together. So it makes sense to her. We can make sense of it. It just sounds like nonsense to the other characters in the play. Yes. And that's a directorial choice where everything she says should be taken with intention versus this kind of randomness. Yeah. And it's also not sincere. She doesn't get the chance for it to be a sincere thought. Yeah. It's brought into a mockery Mm -hmm. of mental illness. And it is really unfortunate to see continue to be perpetuated because she deserves better. Yeah. And and from the work that we've done on this podcast – if you're reading or if you're like figuring out how to direct Ophelia's scene, you can find the through line. I can find the through line. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's more effective if Ophelia makes sense in this world where there's something rotten going on and we've got ghosts and we have things unnatural, like whether it's ghosts or people behaving in ways that are totally unnatural. Claudius killing his brother, Gertrude yeah. marrying Claudius. It would be so effective and touching if Ophelia is the one center that makes sense and everyone else can't Mm -hmm. understand her. That would be much more effective in this world where there is an imbalance. Yes. And then uh, Laertes arrives in this. Um, Again, it's overshadowed for me with um, what Ophelia is made to do because I don't see her trying to connect and be understood. Yeah, like you're, talk- you're talking about her like walking away from stuff and like pantomiming to no one versus pantomiming to no one doing yeah. this thing with her fingers. Thing with her of- fingers. Yeah. Um, that's not specific and not clear and not being specific with what her flower, who her flowers go to. They just kind of all go to Laertes. And then she mm-hmm. walks away in a very stiff and unnatural 
walking pattern like her arms are held out perhaps yeah because this is when she goes into the restrained. padded room and then she goes into a padded room and faces the wall for the duration for the, of the rest scene. of the scene and again content warning we see her underwater well prior to the scene mm, with mm-hmm. text we see that she is being kept in a padded room and a attendant of sorts a doctor i don't know what exactly mm-hmm. he is we're talking like this takes place in the what 1800s yeah it's early, like the, you know. it's very it's ed, somewhere it, edwardian victorian yeah so we're talking like, like the the treatment of ophelia is the the men in top hats with the monocles and yes. she's in a padded room and um she's getting hosed down and then right yeah i'm sorry to remind you of that but it happened <laughs> I blocked that out partially because I also didn't connect that the room she walked into after giving away the flowers was a padded room. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, what is that? And then I was like, what is, why? And then uh, she yeah. apparently yeah. steals the key. She, yeah. It's like in her mouth the whole time and she's being, yeah. this Again, is quote unquote treatment, you know, early, gratuitous early violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I will say, Depending on how you handle Ophelia, because of the time period that they are placing this film in, I think that there is like effectiveness in showing the brutality in a, a, you know, like making a nod to the fact that this takes place in early psychiatry, which was damaging. But it's like, you don't have to do this. Does that make sense? Yes. Because this is also a time period we've talked about with people taking Shakespeare and trying to justify treatment. Mm hmm. Um, and they're placing this story in that time period. Yeah. But when does it become exploitative? It feels very exploitative. Yeah, totally. It feels gross. And then we move on to the gravediggers. The gravediggers. And what a relief. Yeah. I would say the rest of this movie gets injected with some much needed comic relief. Mm-hmm. First up is Billy Crystal. For listeners who uh, like The Princess Bride, it is like Miracle Max is the gravedigger. Mm-hmm. And then Hamlet arrives and, oh, look, the pose with Yorick's skull. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Ophelia's funeral comes in. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times the priest is cut. But, oh, man, does that language actually really help with Ophelia and Hamlet having had some serious private time beforehand? Because yeah. he's like, you're lucky she got virginal rights. Like- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, we get closer to the duel. Uh, we get another nice little really? visitation from A nice, comedy yeah. legends. Yeah. Uh, Robin, Robin Williams, Williams as Osric. And what a shame we don't have more Robin Williams Shakespeare. I know. Robin Williams was so silly. And he unfortunately was placed in a movie that just lacked all silliness. And Rana mm-hmm. could have used him in so many of the comedies so effectively. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Robin Williams should have done more Shakespeare. Yeah. And then we get to the fencing match. They're kind of fencing. It's like fencing to an extreme. It was very large. I wrote that Mm -hmm. Laertes is intense to the point of silliness. (laughs) Yeah. So it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, we start cutting outside of the castle to Fortinbras storming the castle which very weird to me the poisoning happens osric mm-hmm. sees it super interesting mm-hmm. 
There's a very big chase. It extends out from the hall all the way up the stairs. Yes. Yeah. One thing I liked, it's a little bit over the top, Mm -hmm. but as soon as she drinks, Claudius is like full of regret, knows Mm -hmm. what's going to happen, and is visibly upset. Mm -hmm. Then Laertes informs Hamlet that the king is to blame, and we jump the shark. Shark. We fully jump the shark. Yes. Hamlet, from across this gigantic hall, throws his fencing foil. And it flies through the air with the truest aim, smack dab in the heart of Claudius. And then, and then, Hamlet cuts down the chandelier with his Um, dagger. My memory of the ending of this is so fuzzy. And I'm just like, I know. It goes really fast. And it's so, for a film that has taken itself so seriously, it's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I remember the the um, chandelier just whoop, like aiming right for Claudius after he has been stabbed by mm-hmm. a you know pretty much a javelin. Yeah, and then Fortinbras comes in, and then Hamlet is carried away in a very Christ-like. Yes, I remember that it's image. an aerial shot mm-hmm. of all the soldiers, and his arms are out to the side, and then we see like a funeral for him. And then uh, we see a removal of the statue of King Hamlet. Why? Don't know. A lot of questions. So uh, this one. Yeah, this one. um, uh, We already touched on many of these, but this is, it's a very self-indulgent performance. All comedy was pretty much abandoned. Yeah. I think the best thing I can say about this is that it is really impressive that Brownot got a studio in the 90s to fund this my goodness how expensive probably i will say i really enjoyed the aesthetics like the set was gorgeous there were some nice shots the costumes were very cool i enjoyed the time period that it took place in yeah so a lot of the design was interesting to see there were moments where i was like they do really know a lot of Shakespeare history, a lot of the historicism, because they are elevating that, but at the loss of, like, the characters as people. Yeah. I vote skip this one. I do, too. Unless you are... Unless unless you want to watch a train wreck. (laughs) Or unless you're like, I want to watch the entire text of Hamlet. But then even still, I left, and I'm sorry I'm coming across so, so negative, I left this thinking, no wonder high school kids hate Hamlet. Oh my gosh. I was like, so this this is where a lot of bad Hamlet comes from. Like this is just Yes. This is why this people is... think they don't like Shakespeare. Yes. I'm trying to imagine watching this in high school. I No. I I wouldn't be here. No. But to move on from this one, shall we finish this episode with one that we really liked? Yes, I think that's a great idea. Let's leave this on a happy note. Yes. So our third and final Hamlet that we'll be talking about is the Royal Shakespeare Company's 2016 production of Hamlet, directed by Simon Godwin, with Papa Esiedu as Hamlet. Yes. And if you are a fan of the TV show, I May Destroy You, he plays Kwame. So I was really excited to watch it because I was like, I know you. I love you. And he did not disappoint. Yeah, 
I love how this one starts. Same. One, it is modern day or mm-hmm. modern-ish dress. Yeah, close-ish. We see him graduating from Wittenberg, and it's like a snapshot. So it's like lights are out and then lights up. There's students in chairs and Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, is announced. And then we mm-hmm. see him get a Walk diploma. Up, yeah. And then lights out. And then we see a funeral procession with King Hamlet in like a glass coffin, very like lying in state vibes. Mm-hmm. And we see mm-hmm. like up above watching Gertrude and Claudius. And I watched that Gertrude with like she's wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. So we can't see what her what's expression going on in, in her eyes yeah. or expression. And so I was like thinking, is this hinting at a complacent Gertrude mm-hmm. or a plotting Gertrude? Yes. Usually the Claudius Gertrude dynamic starts out with Claudius being overtly the um the the one in power mm-hmm. between the two. And not that there was a very clear power dynamic, but in some case these two might be equals. Yes. And this is also set in a non-specific West African country. That is what Elsinore is in this production. Mm-hmm. So then we do get the watch. We don't see the ghost. No, there's just a light. There's kind of a light that they're looking at. And yeah. the film director does a really great job of using camera angles. So like the camera, we, the audience, are where the ghost would be. Yes, and we see all three of them looking up towards that corner in the three-quarter thrust. Yeah, it's a long three-quarter thrust, too. Like, it is extended almost um, like an alley configuration with the majority of the audience being on, like, two sides of a very long rectangle. Yeah. The second appearance of the ghost is just sparks flying from the one piece of scenery that we have, which is this phone booth or guard booth. And then we go to the throne room. I wrote down that I identified Polonius immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When someone says, pick up Polonius, like, who do you think Polonius is? This Polonius is obvious. I think, yeah. Claudius is also very charming. Bit of a fast talker. Kind of overwhelms everybody. Like, I was like, I like Claudius. Which, we'll get to it in a bit. But, like, in this thriller of, like, who's the murderer? Did he actually do it? It's like presenting this very opposite, charming, fun guy who's like, I heard you had to talk to me, Laertes. What do you have to say, Laertes? Go ahead and say it. I mean, you don't have to worry about Laertes. (laughs) Which makes a lot of sense because people wanted him to be the king. And why wouldn't he be charming? Why wouldn't he be able to light up a room and make people laugh and Mm -hmm. make them feel at ease? And that also makes him a bit more menacing because Because he has this in him. Yes, yeah. it's like the the documentaries, the true crime documentaries where they're like, your neighbor was a murderer this whole time. And people are like, I didn't, how did I, how was no I idea. to know? Yeah. I take my garbage out and they go, hey, Jim, you know. Yeah, and they talk me up. He's great. And then um, out of all of them, this was my favorite, a little more than kin and less than kind. Mm-hmm. And Hamlet yeah. has been crying. I love this choice. Mm-hmm. Really leaning into Hamlet is still mourning. Hamlet is still so, very upset and like this is very fresh for him. Exactly. And like he actually argues with Gertrude. Like there's this little bit of like, I need my mom right now. Yeah. It yeah. feels like a more realistic relationship between a, a mother and a son, mm-hmm. especially given the gravity of the death of a father and the yeah. remarriage. 
when Horatio arrives, it instantly perks Hamlet up. He's still upset. He still has moments where he dips into sadness, but it's so joyful and funny and like best bros are back together. They feel like friends, which I didn't realize I was missing in the other two. Yeah, because it's very diplomatic Mm -hmm. in the other two versus like in this one, by the time Horatio enters, he sees his best friend. And he starts like wiping away tears and trying to conceal the fact that he had been upset so that he yeah. could be joyous and happy with Horatio. Yeah. We have Ophelia and Laertes next. Oh, I loved their dynamic. I loved their dynamic It was, too. they had this cute hug where Laertes picked up Ophelia and kind of like bounced her up and down a little yes. bit, which sounds funny to say it on a podcast. This, yeah. But it, it comes off as very appropriate sibling affection. Compared yes. to our previous yeah. Hamlet that we watched. They definitely have the energy already set up like they could joke with each other. Yeah. I wrote Polonius is fantastically pompous. Yeah. Fantastically like overblown and overstuffed with himself. Really believes he's the smartest guy in the room. And, mm-hmm. you know, and his kids are like, yeah, dad, we got it. But this Polonius does this wonderful job of these highs and lows to his speeches so that when he got to the ending to thine Mm -hmm. own self be true, it was so touching. Yeah. Like it sounded like a father who was like about to send their kid, you know, say goodbye to their kid and send them off. Yeah. Yeah. They do a fantastic job throughout this production of really like, if we peel back that it is Shakespeare, that it's this famous play. What is this scene about? And then directing that. Yes. Once Laertes goes, we get a, a bit of a tour of this box that's been on stage that appears to be this like box of remembrances, things that Hamlet has given to Ophelia. Yeah. There's a, yeah, the affection. There's a really great joke, visual yeah. joke in there. <laughs> and I was like, it's really nice to see them in this scene before she returns them to him. And also kind of figure out maybe what, what was Hamlet and Ophelia's relationship like before the events of this play. Yes. Then we're back to the ghost. Yes. Again, we don't see the ghost. No. And yet Hamlet goes. And I was glued to the screen for this ghost scene. Yes. You texted me. You were like, have uh-huh. you watched this yet? The ghost scene. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. First of all, we begin this part with the ghost where like I wrote that there was a desperation in Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And so I think this Hamlet was very desperate to see what this was or what this could be, because if there's a possibility that this is his father, it gives him hope for something. Yeah. And then there are stage effects. Yes. The stage effects were so neat. We have like fog. Fog coming out of a trap door. Mm-hmm. And we also have um the lift. Mm-hmm. So there's a lift. So it's going from underneath the stage all the way up to this stage. And we've got fog coming up from underneath it. There's light kind of meticulously placed and on this lift is the ghost of old hamlet yeah one we finally see him this actor has the like most perfect voice for the ghost yes and they put some sort of effect on it that makes it echo yeah so Um, he's like a booming voice yeah I kind of wish he was a little bit undead, but that's only because I have this attachment to him being a bit undead. But you didn't need yeah. it. They also set him apart in his costuming. He was costumed in a very like ceremonial, traditional, I think it's what he was buried in. He very much is not part of the current time. Right. And then like the lights go out and then he appears somewhere else on stage. Mm-hmm. That actor moved so quickly. 
And then when everyone else arrives, he is gone. But they do the swearing scene. They do. I loved the swearing scene. And it was so cool because like Hamlet was beaming in this scene. It was like, I used this word before, but he's like a very hopeful Hamlet. Yes. That something he thinks can he's come getting answers. from this. Yeah. Yes. Then we're back to court mm-hmm. and we know that there's going to be some antic disposition put on because we actually get that language. Yes. Polonius is funny, I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And when Hamlet next enters, he is costuming. He's gone from like a black suit very in mourning to very casual clothes, the night of seeing the ghost. And now he mm-hmm. enters covered in like paint He's wearing clothes. like kind of a, like a, a sweatsuit, uh, like sweats, but in the form of a, of a suit. suit and, yeah. yeah. Um, that have been painted all over um, with different images. Um, mm-hmm. And he is graffitiing the palace. Yeah. And I loved this. I loved this interpretation of what antic disposition actually is. Yeah. And he's doing stuff on stage, but it has intent yes. versus... And it's connected to the language. Yeah. Uh, the players arrive. Mm-hmm. And then we get Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, which are brilliant. Mm-hmm. They are clowns, and they are not from Elsinore. No. In this play, we have a majority black cast, and we have these two very white, very yeah. British tourists or foreign exchange students who are super cringy. They probably met in college. Yeah, who, who definitely yeah. met. Hamlet in college. And they are so cringy. Yes. Um, Ophelia, she does enter to give the remembrances, and Claudius and Polonius are hidden behind an heiress. Mm-hmm. Having Hamlet, like, go, he goes through the box of remembrances and, like, wrecks mm-hmm. some of them. And that is great. Yes. This nunnery scene, this breakup scene, starts off really strong. Yeah. And then, again, it goes south. Yes. He, at one point, picks her up. I didn't have a, a huge issue with that because it wasn't necessarily violent. It was just, like, moving her forcibly. Yeah. Though, um, but content warning... Uh, he does forcibly throw her onto a mattress and there is... Pin her down a, with his body, pretty much. And pin her down with his body and there's no need for it. Right. Yeah. It was a shame that it went that way. And again, with just throwing so much violence at this poor actor, it makes it really hard to connect with why Ophelia needs to tell us that she feels bad for Hamlet. Yeah. Again, it's... Violence against women for the sake of putting violence against women on stage. Right. Well, especially because in the beginning of the scene, I loved that it was such a clear breakup. Mm -hmm. And at first, it seemed as though Hamlet was mad at the world, not at Ophelia. And Ophelia Mm -hmm. had this sense of, I know this is, you know, roll your eyes saying this, but Ophelia was not a weak character in that breakup. Right. She gets played weak, but she is, you know, reacting to Hamlet being a baby. And the beginning, at the beginning of this scene. And then, again, it was just like, well, we don't know how to make this scene work for Hamlet if it's not violent. And, I mean, they could have used that one moment where he picks her up and sets her down and then he, like, puts paint on her face. He's, you know, he's got all of his painting gear all along. He's, like, started to paint the entire castle and that could have been a button where, like, that was something that was intrusive, unnecessary, and rude. Yeah. And then he can realize what he's doing. 
this is like my one critique of this is that, again, it's not always clear when he's performing antic disposition and when he's just being Hamlet. To be or not to be was great. And then mm-hmm. we yeah get him somehow switched into mad at the world, painting on the ground and kind of ignoring Ophelia as she's trying to break up with him and then physically throwing her around the stage. Yeah. Again. They could have had him playing antic disposition, ignoring her painting. And then as soon as he realizes the stakes of this breakup, go back mm-hmm. to Hamlet and have an actual authentic breakup that doesn't end in violence. Right. This was not Brana's violence, no. but it was just disappointing considering how thoughtful everything up till now has been. It was, yeah, exactly. It was disappointing to be like, wow, like Brana's started stronger, but I'm also equally disappointed by where both of these ended up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely no need. We have no language that supports actual violence. Because when there's actual violence on stage, we hear someone about it. tells us. Yeah. I made a note that I liked that Hamlet and Ophelia were separated at the play within a play. Mm-hmm. I liked that they ended it at, no, my lord. And then he stayed and, you know, kind of messed around yeah. with the drum on the opposite side of the stage as Ophelia. Yes. And now we're at Polonius. Oh, Polonius is killed and... One, this is a world where guns exist. So Polonius is shot behind the heiress. Um, Hamlet is surprised that it's Polonius and confides in his mother. And then the ghost enters and Gertrude turns and sees the ghost. Yes, she does. She's visibly shaken and then Mm -hmm. she turns around and like denies that it's there. She lies. Yeah. It is distressing for her. But at the end of the day, she and Hamlet end up on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that um, Hamlet and Gertrude have a reconciliation when Mm -hmm. to England is brought up. And there's this touching moment that the two of them have. Uh, It was nice to get a clear picture that they are on the same team, you know? Yeah. Hamlet. (laughs) Hamlet removes Polonius in possibly the funniest reading of those lines I have ever ever seen mm-hmm. goodbye mm-hmm. mother i loved that <laughs> Goodbye, mother. and then claudius comes in and gertrude immediately puts distance between yeah. the two of them and she recoils and this really helps claudius's shift in tactics mm-hmm. that now the his like happy home has been ruined and he knows who's the cause of it it's hamlet right yeah Oh, I didn't take any notes about Claudius praying. Mm, I didn't either. It was really good. Yeah. I'm like, it was I'm like getting towards the end of my notes. I'm like, wait a second. That happens before this. It's very captivating and it's a really well done scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back to where we were. We do see Fortinbras cross the stage and we get to like hear that Fortinbras is on the march. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the Ophelia mad scene. This is the one out of the three we watched where I was Mm -hmm. like, she knows what she's saying. It just, what comes out doesn't quite make sense to anyone else, but she knows and she is mad. I wrote that down that this is an angry Ophelia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I I also really enjoyed that because it's tapping into the thing that people don't want women to be. Like the first Ophelia who... I really liked was an airy kind of ghost-like madness but this was like when you are mm-hmm. wronged 
then you are so wronged, which when you add up everything that has happened to this poor character in this play, like she has been wronged more than anyone and she has not done a thing to anyone. The worst thing she did was break up with her boyfriend and ghost him for a bit. I am a big fan of angry Ophelia's because I think that's what breaks her. No one is taking her seriously. Yeah. And she's she's isolated. Mm-hmm. So love it. Um, Laertes enters in the most epic I Laertes know. entrance I've ever seen. Helicopter time, baby. Helicopter from the ceiling. What I would love to see, this is nothing against this production, but what I would love to see is Laertes take control of the room and maybe have a physical struggle with Claudius and then like mm. be holding mm-hmm. Claudius at knife or gunpoint. So that Gertrude's freaking out and Claudius is like, no, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Like the contrast between Laertes and Hamlet is so often reduced to this one is quiet Mm -hmm. and this one is loud. And it's like, no, one does not act and one acts. Yeah. That does not mean that the one who acts is making a big show of it. It's just that he is ready to do what needs to be done right now. Um, And I think that that would be a lot more threatening. I think that um, we lose a lot by Laertes just being... I'm angry. Where's my father? And leaning into what you were saying, it ups the stakes for Claudius, who's like, I have to work with him. Because what Claudius is trying to do is actually de-escalate a threat against his life. Yes. But then uh, Ophelia enters, and um, this mm-hmm. was really beautiful to me. She comes in, mm-hmm. and she's wearing like her father's suit jacket, sweatpants, yeah. under like a shift dress, um, jackets over it. And as she is singing, she kind of shows that she is like pulling out or losing her hair and the The hair, these locks of Mm -hmm. hair become her flowers. And then she begins to undress. Um, She removes her, the jacket and pants and and she makes, yeah, yeah, her sweatpants and she makes Polonius. She makes the grave. She lays him down Polonius. acts out giving Polonius a burial and saying goodbye to him. And that yeah no it got me too i think that this production built up that relationship between ophelia and polonius so well that this is this is all for her father like there's no hamlet in this moment and so when this happens it makes total sense that like he was her rock when laertes wasn't there her madness comes from losing her father primarily and then that the person who did it is the ex-boyfriend yes who said that he loved her said that he was going to marry her and then after they had sex Mm -hmm. didn't really care about her anymore i mean we know that she also you know stopped talking to him and you know it's more complicated than that it's more complicated than that and there's also there's also wiggle room depending on what the production builds yeah right i also enjoyed it because people in the room understood her so while all yes. the other Ophelias and everyone in the room have this disconnect, every single person was touched by this or knew what was happening. Yes. And her madness wasn't actually like nonsensical. It was rooted in this very raw and mm-hmm. um, powerful and scary. And scary to these two people who have tried to um, keep a lid on what's yeah. going on and out- keep outward appearances yeah. normal very scary to have yeah. somebody yeah. essentially speaking truth to power mm-hmm. which yep. her madness allows her to do and i love that touch too that when ophelia like tossed her hair the flowers into the imaginary grave and left 
as Gertrude was exiting to follow mm-hmm. Ophelia, she did the same thing. She acknowledged this pantomime of mm-hmm. Polonius's funeral. Yes. And we have the gravedigger scene. I believe the actor who the ghost. played yes. the ghost doubles as uh, one of the gravediggers. And I really liked that doubling choice. That I liked was that doubling choice as well. Excellent. I feel like. I thought it was very clever. Yeah. And then um, I felt like I had a Hamlet who was like, oh, I'm touching a skull. This yeah. is kind of weird. And then he had the skull held out, but we, he didn't do the pose. Mm-hmm. Instead, he told Horatio about Yorick. Yes. Alas, poor Yorick. Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. At that moment, he's turned to. There was so much. Like, great- Horatio, I knew. Th- yeah. yeah. Horatio, I knew this guy. He was so funny. And like, I used to do all this stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And like, wow. Yeah. And it's it was great. And then um, pretty quickly, it's time for a duel, which I was like, wh- the whole time I was like, okay, so a world with guns. What are we doing mm. for this duel? I was wondering that myself. Yeah. So uh, they use some traditional weapons. And I did the best research I could very quickly. I really tried to look up something from the actual production. But what I landed on was that it seems to be Nguni stick fighting, mm. mm-hmm. which is uh, from South Africa. And because each combatant has two long sticks, one is used for defense and the other is offense. And there's little armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seemed most similar to the to costuming and props of this production. The costuming and props, mm-hmm. props of this production. I might be completely wrong, but I really wanted to try and like figure out what this fighting style was based mm-hmm. on. Thank you for doing that. I was thinking, oh gosh, I should do that, and I ran out of time. <laughs> but that's also some great dramaturgy too. That like the production is making a very strong effort to non-westernize it. You know, right. It may also be uh, Nuba stick fighting, which mimics fighting with spear and shield, but with sticks. Mm-hmm. So, and again, this is a nondescript African country. Yeah. I also liked that Gertrude started coughing immediately after drinking the poison. That was really a really nice detail that like we're hearing her struggle and seeing her struggle for a long time before anyone says, hey, look to the queen. Especially because now that I'm thinking about it, like, once it's revealed that there's poison yeah. involved, everyone else, the effects hit them so much faster. Or at least, like, if you're mm-hmm. not dead, you're at least struggling to breathe or, you know, it's yeah. taking control on your body somehow. I also really did like how everything happened almost simultaneously, like a well-choreographed piece. Yes. Between Gertrude being poisoned, Laertes slashing Hamlet, Hamlet slashing Laertes, the truth coming out, and then slaying Claudius, it was like... It it was it's wonderfully so executed. Fast. It's so fast, but it's also so distinct that it, you know, I mean, we were watching it, a filmed version of it, but it was so, mm-hmm. you know, like bop, 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 bop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was like blinking. You miss somebody getting stabbed yeah. with these weapons. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, very quickly, um, it was like, everyone's gone except for Horatio. And Horatio was like, I'm going to drink the last drops. And Hamlet wrenches it away from him. And then Fortinbras arrives mm-hmm. and we got a lot of like text that was kept from the Brana version. We get in this one that is, I see cut a lot from theatrical productions, mm-hmm. which was really, really cool to see actually in a theater and how fast it can move. Mm-hmm. It's still a long play. You still get, to, I, I still feel like I get to Hamlet going to England and I'm like, there's still like 45 minutes left. Yeah. So much happens in this yeah. play. Yeah. But Overall, I loved this production. Same. 
I was so overjoyed by the end result, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's easy to be nitpicky, especially like when, you know, no production. Especially when you have like a podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. But like there's something like one thing that struck me about this adaptation was that like Ophelia's absence was felt. Like from the moment she died from like the mm. re- recounting like she is gone from Gertrude. I just felt the weight of Ophelia's absence because mm-hmm. I feel like that, in that, a yeah. lot of productions, it's easy to be like out of sight, out of mind, but they kept mm-hmm. her and like the her death in a lot of the space. Yeah. The fact that like, you know, the line says one woe doth tread upon another's heel so fast they follow. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment forward, it's less than a week, maybe a week at most that she's buried and Hamlet's returned. And he finds out that she's dead. And then there's this duel and everyone's dead. Yeah. I thought many times, I was like, this was what I would rather see in school if we're going to watch Hamlet. Yeah. One, because Papa Isiadu is so approachable mm-hmm. as a Hamlet. He's so clear and fun and not morose, not self-indulgent. Right. I was like, I feel like I know these people. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes that's what makes Shakespeare so cool. Yes. They're real people. They're people that you that we all know and we're seeing them like make bad choices. Yes. And face the consequences. Yeah. And like, yes, this place full of beautiful language passages. Yes, there are tons of quotes that you can pick out and put on a, you know, a pillow, a throw pillow or your, mm-hmm. you know, coffee mug or whatever. Yeah. But at the core of it, the thing I love about this play is the depths of humanity that you see throughout this play mm-hmm. and it's so easy for it to be lost amongst just piling on bull you know like right but once you yeah you, you have I, to like you have to get to the bottom of the text and like what's happening at the base level and then let the beautiful language mm-hmm. aid in that experience what i like to say about this play is that in this play specifically is a play about grief mm-hmm. and we have many characters like four or five of them specifically that deal with grief and they all make big choices Mm -hmm. in their grief and they in that moment they think what they are doing is best and it ends up being the exact wrong choice Mm -hmm. and there are so many other hamlets we simply don't have time to watch and talk about all of them right now yeah but there are lists of popular theater adaptations, film adaptations, books. So this wrap-up is these three um, Hamlets, and um, there's so much more to talk about, but we just don't have the time. Yeah. I'm really excited to dive into our next play, though. Yeah. I am sad to see Hamlet go, but I'm very excited for our next play. I gotta say, out of all the Hamlets that we had to choose from, I'm glad we chose these three. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm glad we watched these three as well because they provided a spectrum, the shades of Hamlet. And as much as I love Hamlet, I'm kind of in the camp of I'd like to see less of it because not many could do it well. Yes, I think that I would also like to see less of it or I'd like to see it more carefully done. Yeah. If you're doing Hamlet just to do Hamlet, it's more complicated than that. Yes. But that is it for our wrap-up. Oh, we forgot to talk about one big one. What? The Lion King. (laughs) All right, guys. uh, The Lion King is Hamlet. (laughs) And so with this, 
we are wrapping up our Hamlet series. And for now, we say good night, sweet prince. Good night, sweet prince. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our kind listeners, we can no other answer make but thanks and thanks and ever thanks to our Patreon patrons, Kathleen Owen and Brittany Barger. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone? Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Julius Caesar, Act 3, Scene 2, Spoken by Antony. If you have tears, prepare to shed them now.